0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Episode 7 of our show, where we discuss the latest news about Apple, iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and more. We're recording on Thursday, March 12th, 2015. Today we'll be discussing Apple's full Spring Forward event and a recap, research kit for iOS, Apple's newly redesigned MacBook, more Apple Watch news and pricing availability and more. We have with us this week Apple Insider contributing editor Daniel Dilger, who was at the event. Thanks for being here, Dan. Yeah, it's great to join another podcast. And contributing editor Victor Marx is here again. Thanks for being here, Victor.
2: Always happy to be here.
1: And that was quite a chore trying to get uh, together today. Skype was—I don't know what's wrong with Skype. It was just I, Victor wouldn't even open for you. It was crashing for me. So, but we made it. There
0: were Skype problems before Microsoft bought them, but that was, <laughs> wasn't was necessarily their solution. <laughs> seems to be exacerbated, hasn't it? <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, it's crazy. So so anyway, Spring Forward event. We did a, a short little episode, uh, Daniel, kind of your, your thoughts immediately after the event, but definitely want to go through it in depth and just kind of talk about it as we go. So right from the beginning, Spring Forward event, Tim Cook's out on stage. As usual, they kind of show an Apple Store opening recap video, which is always nice. This one was... The newest store in China, and uh, Tim Cook rolled right into Apple TV, which we didn't know if they were going to announce anything about it. But he, uh, no, no hardware changes, unfortunately, but there was the HBO Now announcement. So HBO has partnered with Apple, and Apple is the exclusive partner for HBO's Now on Demand and a streaming service, HBO Now. Fifteen dollars a month, you get all current content and past library on iOS devices and the dedicated channel on Apple TV. So again, something cord cutters have been looking forward to. And the Apple TV dropped in price from $99 to $69, but with no update to the hardware. Uh, So I
2: want to ask, why do you think it needs a hardware update? What are you missing?
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. And I guess hardware-wise, it doesn't really matter. Um, I don't know if And the software is fine. I think the interface, you know, maybe universal search. I think That's probably the one feature that I've used on other systems like Amazon Fire TV that I would love to see on Apple TV.
2: I want to ask you about that. Universal search, when you're searching on Amazon Fire TV, does it search across Netflix and Hulu content as well for you? Or does it only search across all Amazon's Fire content?
1: It searches across all. So if you search for, let's say, The Voice the mm. show you know it'll pull it up in hulu and if you search for what's a tv show on netflix like breaking bad or something it'll show here it is in netflix here it is in hulu here it is in amazon okay so that's that's what i would like to see Again, not my a hu-
2: understanding was that amazon's voice search only would trigger an amazon so you're talking about universal search where you have a keypad entry or a remote entry
1: right and you know i'm I'm, ex- I'm excited about the Apple Watch being a remote. I'm curious how that's going to work. Yeah. If you could do
2: my my search. one concern about the universal search path is that I, I hate having little asterisks that explain where it doesn't work. So when voice search works for all Amazon content but doesn't work for all the other content or universal search works but only when you use it from the remote or the keyboard, that feels very un-Apple-like. The The Apple way of doing things is that you just have simply one explanation and that's it. Yeah. No caveats.
0: Yeah. Apple TV also merges the idea of on iOS or on in a web browser, every site or app that you go to is completely controlled by whoever's running it. And mm-hmm. on, for example, macOS ten, Apple has in the past integrated certain services so that it's basically Apple's UI for everything, and they're connecting to Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And well, that's interesting um, if you think about how sharing sheets worked is particularly before Apple opened it up with the app extensions, you could share things with Facebook or Twitter, but only in ways that Apple thought about or wanted to support. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So Apple TV is kind of in the middle with their partnering with all these different companies and giving them more ability to kind of create a customized experience. And at the same time that loses some of the, like what you're talking about with universal search, uh, Apple doesn't have full control to make things across the board um, how they, how they work. And so there's like a little bit of weirdness on Apple TV in that every app you go into kind of works on its own thing. And you don't have a way to say, Hey, I'm looking for this program. I know it's on Hulu and, and Netflix, for example, I'm paying for both of them. I want to know which is better. Do I watch the old version on Netflix or the version with ads on Hulu? So having some kind of shopping system like that would be useful, but it's, it's, would be a little bit, Difficult to work, yeah. You have to have access to all their stuff, and I'm not sure how Apple's arrangements with those different companies work. Yeah, Yeah. good. I
2: I still think Apple TV is is the best of these devices that I've tried, Um, in in part because you take it out of the box, and every one of these things works almost exactly the same. Yeah, Uh, and, and that you can subscribe to these services directly through the device. You don't have to get a computer and go through a web browser to get to them. You can go ahead and say, I want to sign up for Hulu and bill it to my iTunes account.
1: Yeah, that is it's it's a very
2: very single path all the way through it. And there's no one first citizen. There's no one Apple service that rises above the others having more features and more capabilities and and being favored. Right. They're all and, treated as a flat playing field.
1: And AirPlay I found I have a Chromecast and I still found AirPlay is superior on pretty much all counts, you know, whether you're throwing video, pictures or even trying to mirror your your MacBook, which is not seamless but it's still better than Chromecast. But that was really it for Apple TV. And before we get into the the other big news, Tim Cook did mention CarPlay in passing, saying that all car manufacturers, I guess all major car manufacturers have committed to CarPlay, which I thought was interesting because just a few weeks ago, Toyota said that it wasn't um, looking to integrate that right away. So go ahead, Victor.
2: Yeah. So the first rule of being an Apple partner is that you never badmouth Apple about anything. <laughs> and the second rule, even when it's their fault, you know, even when the Bluetooth stack is horribly broken or there's something going wrong with, with authentication chips, not, you know, whatever it is, you never badmouth Apple. The second rule is you never pre-announce something when Apple's getting ready to make an announcement.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> right. So so when people ask Toyota, hey, are you going to go ahead and have CarPlay in this car? Toyota said, no, we can't announced any plans. We can't talk about that. Of course not. No, not at this time.
1: I see. So, but I think that was good and you know, it's a great announcement, especially for CarPlay. Again, we'll I, see. I love CarPlay. All right. And I hope to uh, get a car with it sometime soon. So we'll see. Um, after that, Apple TV and CarPlay, there were obviously number announcements. Tim Cook said 700th, 700 millionth or billionth, 700 millionth, yeah. <laughs> 700 millionth <laughs> I, uh, iOS iPhone sold. Uh, since the beginning of iPhones. So again, huge number and some market numbers. And the first thing they announced uh, when they entered this section was Research Kit, something that was not ever um, you know, rumored or leaked or anything beforehand. Again, they can kind of do this with software stuff because they did it all in-house, uh, but there was no word for it. And Research Kit, uh, it's a way for doctors and medical professionals to basically keep track of their patient's condition using unique apps for diseases, and they announced one for diabetes, for breast cancer, for asthma, for uh, cardio disease, and uh, Parkinson's disease. So five apps were available right away. And uh, this seemed like very exciting stuff. Uh, I know we talked about it a little bit, Dan, on the special episode, but um, Victor, if you have any thoughts on it, that'd be great.
2: Research has been really hard to conduct in the past. Uh, you, you've had to pay people to participate in surveys. and you're not getting a necessarily representative sample, uh, you're not getting a wide sample. You know, you look at studies and it's hard to find sometimes studies that have more than 200 people and that's a, a reasonably large number for a study. Right. And so now by opening it up to phone users and by opening it up to, to requirements like just getting an app and being able to see if you qualify to participate in a study, study, you've uh, you've really widened the the amount of sample set you get. And I think the huge thing that the crowd responded to, and Dan, you can tell me if I'm right or not, but it looked like that making ResearchKit open source is is also a huge thing.
0: Yeah, I think that was kind of the icing on the cake. I mean, people were seeing, it, it's the kind of thing that uh, when they first start talking about it, it's like, oh, this is some esoteric thing they're working with researchers on. But when you start to see that this is these are diseases that affect everybody that we know, everybody in your family above a certain age is going to have some kind of problems that they're dealing with. And when you start to see the scope of how this can help people, it's really, you know, it's kind of this heartwarming thing that we realize, oh, yeah, we actually have the technology now to solve problems that just weren't possible before. And the, the, the cell phone has been doing this for a while. I mean, just the fact that we had cell phones, you know, in the late 90s, being able to communicate with anybody is, is, changed everything and then having that turn into a computer so that you can have apps and you can have all kinds of things that connect to a variety of sensors has opened up all kinds of things in ways that remember five years ago steve jobs talking about you know basically we have everybody's walking around with these phones we can tell where they're at and we're going to start modeling traffic you are like oh of course and this is kind of an example of doing that on a more sophisticated level because you have these devices that everybody has in their pocket and i think research kit came out of health i mean quite obviously apple created this thing saying here's our solution for a database of information about you and researchers were saying this is great but if we had a way to do this across a lot of people we could do these kind of um do this kind of large-scale research involving lots of people volunteering to join these programs I think that's where it came from.
2: There were a couple of things that resonated with me about this and about the demonstrations of research kit. One of them was the idea of using the phone for gait analysis and being able to use gait analysis to quantify a, a person's walks and missteps for Parkinson's diagnosis where previously right. it was simply a, a doctor looking at a patient and saying, well, gosh, you know, I think that's a two. And, right. and now having a consistent data set to to compare against is being eye opening. You know, the, the concern that I had, and I think they must have solved, is that in the past when I would go to a doctor and I would show some of my health data, like I, I've been tracking my sleep for three years, so I can say definitively when I wake during the night, how much sleep I get over time, things like that. And, you know, doctors look at that and somewhat of them feel like there's data paralysis. You know, there's too much data. It's it's like when there's something wrong with your computer, and so you present to a genius 24 hours of log files.
1: they right.
2: are like, what am I going to do with that? can't do a thing with that. So they've, they've had to figure out how to get just the useful data they're looking for out of this large sample set. But what you were saying about the phone really enabling data collection that simply wasn't possible before, resonated with me and the asthma app, because now they're able to say, we know geolocation. We know when a person is is having an asthma attack or having the onset of an asthma attack. And we can identify, is there something about that location and the air quality at that location that causes that and and now we can sort of identify causes location causes air quality causes that just simply weren't even quantifiable before
1: and i can't even imagine what could mean the future when you know if, if more people allow their devices access to their location things like that when if someone's alone and something happens whether it's a, a you know god forbid a heart attack or a seizure or something like that and it could actually notify a hospital or physician when it happens. I mean, how many cases do we hear about people dying because something happened to them and there was just no one around to either help them or call an ambulance or something like that? I mean, that's just amazing um, potential there uh, for in the future.
2: Help, I've fallen and I can't get up.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. I remember those commercials, you know. but, you know, there's also the thing, uh, you know, f- uh, for tremors, uh, you can be tapping the screen and it can measure yourself that way. It uses the phone's microphone uh, for the asthma test, And again, like you said, Victor, for the gait when you're walking, just put the phone in your pocket and the accelerometer will measure it. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And again, not really any new sensors in the phone. I mean, the phone has had these, these kinds of things forever, uh, but really using it in this way is, um, is really cool.
2: There there were people doing asthma devices that paired with the phone at CES. I'm gonna have to look them up and go back and see that because I'm wondering if there's integration between that and health and then being able to also augment the the data you're giving back through the research kit.
0: Right. I think that's one of the things that they mentioned. In addition to this where patients are reporting data about themselves or or doing tests that help them with Parkinson's, things like that. There's also a component to research kit that allows researchers to send out uh, people to do testing, like one of the things they said about uh, asthma was being able to use the phone with a device that measured pathogens. So they do swipes in public places to get a sense of what are the bugs that are out there? And is there any correlation between an area, like you're saying, an outbreak of asthma that people are suffering, particularly in a certain area, is it related to a bug? Is there something that's causing or uh, exacerbating asthma for people because of a certain situation that we could possibly um, control. And that's the kind of big picture things that are difficult to do without technology. So this is an interesting sort of toolkit for researchers to be able to put together all kinds of ways of, of working with this, whether it's the public contributing or whether it's their own researchers being able to use the technology in a in a simple cheap device like the iPhone compared to very specifically designed custom hardware and that's the same kind of thing that's happening in accessibility used to be if you are blind or you're deaf or you're trying to navigate the world with with some sort of handicap you had to have very expensive equipment to do that and now the cell phone can do all kinds of things that give people a lot more mobility in the world and it's it works the same for everybody so it's easy to deploy this kind of stuff
1: right
2: yeah and i'm glad you raised accessibility you know uh it used to be that if you were going to do an Uh, accessibility assistive device. There there were these Windows tablets that uh, had icons and vocabulary words and you'd tap on an icon and it would speak the icon for you. So you could compose a sentence. You'd say, I want a drink kind of thing or I want ice cream. Uh, Kind of a picture exchange system is what it was based on. And those devices to get a Windows XP tablet that would speak for you used to cost $7,000 or more. (laughs) And now there's... um, you know, Proloquo2Go, there's Avaz, there's Grace app. There are a number of these very similar picture exchange systems that are available as accessibility devices, and all you have to do is have an iPhone or an iPad, and you're now able to communicate with the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. It's exciting stuff, and uh, I'm very uh, looking forward to seeing what happens with it in the next few years. But moving on, the next a big thing in the keynote after Research Kit was, of course, the new newly redesigned MacBook, 12 inches retina screen weighs just two pounds thinner than the current macbook air new butterfly keyboard mechanism to make typing uh, even more enjoyable experience and a force touch trackpad which again clicks evenly anywhere on the trackpad and has the new force touch gesture and only one port the usb c port which uh, we could definitely talk about in a second but uh you know, I, I was thinking about the the MacBook line as a whole. And, you know, when the MacBook Air was first announced, you know, you kind of had the three models. You had the MacBook Air, you had the MacBook or, you know, iBook kind of line. And then you had the MacBook Pro, uh, the PowerBook back in the day. And now it almost seems like this new MacBook is kind of coming up and taking the, the low end again. It's, it's kind of like as far as power and things like that, the the new 12-inch MacBook is kind of like the base model. You have the MacBook Air in in the middle as far as processing power and ports, then you have the MacBook Pro line after that. And it's interesting because the new MacBook is more expensive than the Air's and you can't really build to order uh, very much. You can order the faster processor or not and the more storage and that's pretty much it. But again, it kind of has those three tiers now and you can kind of see that on Apple's website as well. But the USB-C port, there was some initial pushback when they announced it this past Monday. Again, just one port. But I was reading up on it, and I know Victor was too. And that one port can do a whole lot, and it's actually kind of exciting um, going to that. So go ahead, Victor.
2: Well, I wanted to comment that this is, uh, I think, a transitional period. Right now, we've got, as you say, all of these different models. It's not outside the realm of possibility that MacBook Air goes away, and you simply have MacBook, MacBook Pro. Yeah, which reduces the product line. The, uh, the port is really impressive. You know, you, you outlined that it can transfer a huge amount of data because it's using USB 3.1. You, uh, you know, you mentioned that uh, it communicates to the charger to tell how much charge it needs, you know, what, how much power demands it's really going to pull from. So, Apple, Microsoft, Foxconn, uh, Google, there were a ton of people, Lenovo, a ton of people participating, Samsung participating on this USB spec and on this connector. But if you look at the connector, it just looks like an Apple connector. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, it's got the rounded shell that's the part of the specification. It's got the ability for accessories to communicate. Uh, it's bi-directional, so you can have a device port, you can have a host port, or you can have... Dual mode and going both ways,
1: right? And it can go upside down or right side up. You don't need it's, to. worry
2: It's about. reversible. They're reversible, yeah. Uh, they've got display port, 1.5 amp, 3 amp, or even 20 amp charging in there,
1: right? Which and the, is huge. And the 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 when you say that it can talk to the charger to determine how much power it needs, because hopefully one day, you know, maybe the mobile devices and your laptops will all have USB C, and then the charger can just basically s- give the right amount of, of power so your phone doesn't blow up because it's not giving it, you know, Well, it's your phone things.
2: will never blow up doing to to more power. It just will simply turn to waste heat.
1: Right, right. So it's exciting. But now, Dan, you were physically there. You had your hands on it. You kind of told us some initial impressions. But looking back, um, how I mean, how do you think it would feel in kind of like a day to day use?
0: Well, I have been using a MacBook Air for quite a while and the keyboard is different. It has bigger keys, and so they're a little bit closer together, and there's less of a travel. So when you type, it's, um, you're not pushing the key down as far.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that contributes to the fact that it makes a much thinner keyboard and a thinner device overall. There are... Uh, when you're used to something, it's sometimes difficult to make the bridge to something new. It's like when they, when they change the scrolling on, on the trackpad and it was kind of upside down for a minute and then your brain figures it out and it's like, oh, this is actually better because it works the same as my iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people that are resistant to change are going to have maybe a little bit of problem with the keyboard. I start typing with it and it's not difficult to type. It does feel different. Uh, th- I think the, the difference in thickness and, of course, weight it weighs two pounds
1: yeah.
0: is for people who want a mobile device or in, a, in a very mobile device. and. The, that what comes with that, I think the design considerations that Apple made, the choices they made here are really brilliant.
1: How was um, how was the screen? Did the screen look really good?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a Retina display, so right. it looks amazing. And I think there's a like like what um, Victor said. I think it's a transitional device. We're seeing a lot of new stuff going into it in this kind of the same way that the the Mac macbook pro what when it went to display or um to display they also made a number of changes that made it both more expensive Mm -hmm. and nicer and kind of a new class of device and the MacBook Air originally did that too they got rid of the optical device they put in a ssd and there's some drawbacks to some some of those things you don't have as much huge space available on an ssd it's much more expensive however the the benefits tremendously outweigh what they're Doing. So this is not gonna be for everybody. There's gonna be a lot of people who want a computer that's gonna be faster than a than a what is it, a core M right. Can be. But for people who want a really fast or, or a a computer that feels fast while you're using it, but is also super thin and very simple. I think this machine was made for China. Hmm. In in a large respect. China doesn't have the same appetite for Macs in the same way that Japan doesn't. I I like to tell the story about how in the year 2000, I I, um, I had a friend from Japan and he was telling me that people didn't have computers and it was like, how can I, (laughs) how can this be? (laughs) Why don't you have computers? You're the advanced technology nation. And every, every nation has a culture. I mean, every area has a culture and it influences what they want to buy. And Apple has so much data about every country and what they buy and what they want and how people are different that sometimes it's not obvious that some of the products they're making are designed for a different area.
1: Yeah, but I there... I, I even think, um, you know, first of all, I think in one or two years, just like the MacBook Air price dropped, just like the MacBook with redness screen price dropped, one or two years might be a sub $1,000 computer, uh, which I think will be really attractive to many people, especially college students. But, you know, just thinking in my personal use case, you know, if I don't have to do with video editing web or app development and maybe audio production it could probably meet you know a lot of my needs and maybe even you know serve as a especially if you're just writing light photoshop work or something like that you know it might be able to serve those purposes And it comes with eight gigabytes ram uh, stock which is nice uh, we'll have to see how fast the processor is once it comes once it comes out but i think for a lot of people you know it'll probably do what it needs to do and you know most people You know, power users complain about ports, like where's the Thunderbolt and and the regular USB and stuff like that. But I think most people, you know, will probably get away with, uh, in a few years, we will be able to get away with what it has. Go ahead, Victor.
2: Well, that USB port has DisplayPort signals on it, and DisplayPort does allow daisy chaining. There are DisplayPort displays that have in-and-out ports. So there's no real reason why it can't accommodate a lot of those needs. Obviously, if you've got a Thunderbolt drive and you've got a, a workflow that requires it, yes, you're, you're not gonna have it. But I, I think for people that aren't reliant on Thunderbolt, it's it's really there. And, and, and the price isn't out of line either. You know, my first right. MacBook Air was a, a 2011 model, 11-inch uh, Core i7, uh, four gig of RAM, 256 gig storage, and it cost $1,600 at the time. Yeah. So I, I don't feel like this is anything too surprising.
1: I wonder if this is why Apple has not come out with a Thunderbolt display yet also. I almost wonder if this may take the place, maybe USB C display? I don't what know. What is that the current
2: works. connector on Apple's display?
1: It's a mini display port. So it's the same thing.
0: So it's the same, yeah.
1: With an adapter, yeah it's the same thing. Well,
0: maybe have a lot of people were wondering why the the 5K iMac didn't have video input modes, and part of it was that whatever version of DisplayPort that everything has right now, or Thunderbolt, um, doesn't support 5K video. The only way you can do it, I think, the way Dell does it on theirs, is to have two cables, which is kind of right. not really cool. There again, with the asterisks and caveats. Yeah. So I, I think I think one of the things that's that's going to have to happen before Apple comes out with a, a new high resolution display on the, on the order of something like a 5k or 4k screen would be that they would want to have something like this deployed. So it's either using, um, modern display port. I haven't looked at the version of DisplayPort that, that USB-C uses, or it's not the USB-C, the physical thing, but what, what version the new MacBook uses,
1: right? Well, did you have any other thoughts about the the hardware, or any impressions you heard from other journalists while you were there about it?
0: Um, it's a really sexy device. It's the first one that doesn't have the glowing. Um, I guess it's just the back backlight LED uh-huh. that shines through the Apple logo. Oh, wow! So now it's a polished thing. I think that probably makes it easier to build. There's the the joke online. Somebody took a, a Spanish language conversation with his. And this guy who's laughing at him while he's telling the story, and they put titles on. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. No, they portray it like the guy is talking about the new MacBook and like he came to present this idea and, and he didn't drill enough holes on the device. And it, it's you know, this parody, but it's kind of funny.
2: It, it, like it looks to me it's like it's parody. going
0: towards the direction of the iPad design, isn't it? Well, it's that cross pollination that we see at Apple where. Yeah. A lot of things that are de- developed for one line starts coming back to yeah. benefit other things, too. So, yeah, there's a lot of MacBook or a lot of iPad Air feel to it, and which was, is obvious. It's created by the same people.
1: Right. There was a picture I saw. One person had Launchpad up on the new MacBook in the thing. So, you know, it looks like an iOS device home screen just with app icons in the rows. And, uh, you know, it really just looks like a slightly larger iPad with like that Bridge Air keyboard case or something like it, literally just looked like an iPad with a keyboard uh, when it had a So huh? what's that? With a like a clam case kind
2: of yeah, thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it just you could almost, you know, I mistake it, you know, if you see it for a distance. Um, so and I almost wonder, you know, there were a bunch of rumors about iPad Pro, which may still come out this year, like a twelve-inch iPad Pro, but... you
2: think this was the iPad Pro, and people (laughs) Uh... just didn't understand?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is 12 inches. I mean, it would be, seems very strange to launch this, and then a 12-inch iPad in the same year, having the exact same screen size. That doesn't seem Apple-like. But, you know, then how would you price that? It's the same size screen, both retina screens. One has a keyboard, one doesn't. Just Mac OS and iOS. So, I don't know. Maybe those... Rumors were really pointing towards this, but
0: I think you could you could also launch an iPad at a lower price point because it's using it's not using an Intel processor, right? Or presumably would not be using. Then again, that's, it, that's a major cost center. You know, it doesn't have it doesn't need as much RAM.
1: But looking at iPads now, the Mini and then the Air, obviously different price points because of size screen. So the if there was an iPad Pro with a 12 inch screen, it would have to be more expensive than the Air starting at whatever 600 something bucks and once or you put the
2: reduced price on the earlier model,
1: maybe but once you you know if you get a cellular uh, data in an iPad and plus get a couple levels up in storage, you're looking at almost the same price point for a thousand bucks. yeah a thousand bucks for an iPad pro or a new MacBook and maybe Apple's okay with that and it's just whatever people want prefer using but uh, it'd be well, interesting to see
0: after Apple releases products, we all look at it and kind of analyze what they're doing. But I don't think Apple takes a matrix and says, here's every price available. How can we fill each one with a device? I think they look at products and say, is there a demand for this? Is there a demand for a, an iPad that's bigger than the one we're selling? Mm-hmm. And they talk to people and they try to find out if that's the case. And I'm sure that that's what they're doing. I don't know. I don't I don't know enough about Apple's iPad data to know if there's really a demand for a big iPad. There could be, and there, maybe they're finding out that there's not, but I think when Apple does D- develops products I think that's the driver they're they're looking at the market and perhaps talking with people but they're also looking at the data of what actually sells they know what sells I, th-
1: I think you're right
0: We're saying PowerBook for a while but yeah. they realize that that there's not enough demand to to maintain a product in that category so they don't sell it anymore
1: I think I think you're right saying that's why they develop products but I think keeping those price points across the scale is why they keep devices around Example the iPad mini without a retina screen Um, Whether there's demand for that right now being a non-retina versus retina screen I'm not sure but there is demand for a cheap tablet Especially to compete with things like Amazon fire and things like that. So why else keep an an old iPad around?
0: But but keeping something around doesn't require much effort.
1: Right, right. I'm saying that's why I'm saying maybe developing new products
0: Yeah, Yeah. you keep the old ones
2: around because they are institutional sales that are required to buy the same device across the whole institution for a period of years so that they don't have to have mixed uh, stock that they have to support.
1: I I think that and also because someone has only $300 to spend on a tablet and Apple would rather have them get an iPad mini over Amazon Fire.
2: I mean, the iPad 2 lived on as long as it did because it was an educational sale.
1: Yeah, the iPad 2 is a weird case. But I think, again, I mean, why the iPad mini without a retina screen, I, sure, institutional reasons, but I think also because people want to buy, just have a certain amount of money to spend. They want to get a tablet. Why not have a device at that price point where, you know, someone would buy it?
0: Well, they are definitely reaching a price point with products like that. And I think they're also differentiating their what they really want to sell. Because if they, if they did like Samsung and just offered one of everything of every little, you know, yeah. one every tenth of an inch, they have, a, <laughs> they have a tablet device in each one of those and probably they would be selling a clamshell if they still sold computers. Um, that's not a, a very efficient way to sell things no. and it also distracts people away from buying what they should be buying. I think and, one of Apple's I mean obviously one of Apple's considerations is that they want to make money. But another one is that they want to develop products that people are actually going to be happy with after they get them. And if you create one of everything and say, "Here, pick whatever you want." People are going to make configurations or or buy things that are really not that good of a thing. So, one of the things Apple does is this editorial control where they say, "This is what you really want." Right. And if you're buying a full-size tablet, you want the Air too. And if you want to save some money, you can get this one. Yeah. But we're not going to make everything with every feature. And a, a mini with a retina display is going to result in trade offs that um, are going to make it more expensive. So, here's your option for this entry level model.
2: Right. Yeah. The other problem with having one of everything is that you end up with consumer paralysis of choice. You know, mm-hmm. if you present me with 24 options, I can't make a single choice and I walk <laughs> out leaving without having spent a dime. If you present me with three options, I can make a choice and I'll buy one.
1: Which is a great segue to the Apple Watch, because historically, the of choice. <laughs> historically Apple does try to keep you know the amount of SKUs or the amount of choices for a product pretty down, and the Apple Watch is just an astounding amount of choices, even when you buy the product and then buying stuff after it, such as additional bands or whatever. So, Apple Watch obviously was everyone what everyone was looking forward to in this event, and it was the last thing Tim Cook got to. Uh, Hardware-wise, again, we didn't see much change there. We, we knew the we've already seen some of the bands, and so we knew the different models. Uh, we obviously learned about pricing, which is three forty-nine, three ninety-nine for the Sport, five forty-nine, five ninety-nine for the Apple Watch regular, the Steel models, and then ten thousand and up for the Apple Watch Edition models. And uh, they did show off some apps, some third-party apps, things like Uber. And the W Hotels, how you can open a door with the Apple Watch. and SPG. SPG. And they uh, showed off Apple Pay on the watch, things like that. I thought it was interesting. They didn't bring any third-party developers themselves on stage to demo their apps. You know, usually they do that with a new device launch. So I would have liked to have seen that. But it was a good showing of apps, good showing of what it could do. And obviously pricing was the biggest deal, which some of those watches can definitely get expensive. Even those middle of the road, Apple watch steel editions If you get it with a link bracelet, you're talking over a thousand dollars for, um, for the steel one. But, uh, it's definitely interesting. What, what, what was the feeling in the room, Daniel, when you, as they were kind of going through that stuff?
0: The, the prices, I think people had been fairly prepared because we'd been talking about it and we all knew that the golden was going to cost thousands of dollars but uh, the differentiation that that Apple pointed out is kind of interesting and in that it's not a good better best model that we're used to you know most most Macs and iPhones it's like here's the here's the best one here's the last year's one and here's the one we're still selling right where with watch it's different it's the middle version is just called Apple watch and then the cheaper version which has cheaper materials and reaches it's what a 100- hundred the less expensive version it's not well, cheaper. it, it, <laughs> it li- is literally it, it, cheaper. Though. It is cheaper, but it's not presented as here's our cheap version. It's no, here's nice. our
2: sport version. It's not cheap
0: as in low quality. It's just less yeah. expensive. So here, here, here our less expensive model is designed to be lighter and simpler and, you know, it's, it's like a basic version, but it's not the basic version. It's the sport version, which right. is an interesting way to position it. And then the high end being something that Apple hasn't specifically done before. They have always had stuff that was quite expensive. And, you know, back in the day, back in the late 80s, it was quite simple to have a Mac hit $10,000 with a video card and the RAM that you put in it. Um, People didn't think of that as so much the luxury. It's just kind of a business expense. It was like this expensive workstation because RAM was just so expensive. Yeah, I would say the 20th
2: anniversary (laughs) Mac was the only one that really ventured into that expensive for luxury purpose.
0: Yeah, that was just kind of a show-off. Kind Yeah, of that, um, and it wasn't terribly expensive, was it?
2: Wasn't it was seven grand or so?
0: It, it was, was seven grand, 20. seventy five. It was basically like a PowerBook that that opened up on your desk and had speakers. Well, it had Bose speaker. Yeah, it was basically a PowerBook.
1: <laughs> but it was still cheaper it, than the Apple Watch uh, Edition.
0: Yeah, where well, this is kind of a different. It's a different material, and a lot of a lot of PC kind of people these various pundits that are used to talking about how people should buy, you know, cheap phones um, are sort of taking umbrage with the fact that it costs $10,000. or starts, starts at that much. <laughs> the, the bigger one is what? 12,000.
1: It goes up to 17,000.
0: Um, yeah. It's not for those people. Yeah. <laughs> and Although, for, for the people that it's for, it's not actually terribly expensive.
1: Although Tim Cook did say that the, the addition model is the, Truest or the best expression of the Apple Watch, which you know
2: functionally, they are all going to function the same way. The same <laughs> exactly. applications will run, the same interface will run, and you interact with them the same way. Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: I mean, you the the sapphire uh, screen on the Apple Watch and Apple Watch Edition. I feel like one, you know, especially when as a watch, making it least prone to scratches and nicks is valuable something that you're going to be wearing on your wrist all the time. So, and to say, you know, the sport model doesn't have that. And you think sport, you're going to be the most active with a sport watch, but it doesn't have the strongest screen. So that's kind of, you know, we've, we've already
2: seen people begin selling different kinds of, of protector cases for these things, you know, X Ex, XDoria Doria launched. theirs 10 seconds after the, uh, <laughs> the keynote ended. Um, we've seen stands, Griffin has a stand, uh, 12 South has a stand for Dodo. charging these things. Um, Pen and quill has a stand for charging the thing that's quite nice actually. So, you know, I'm not concerned about protecting the the non- sapphire glass with the sport edition. I'm sure someone will be happy to sell me for ten dollars <laughs> a, a you know a, a 9mm, 0.9 millimeter 9 Mose glass PET screen protector for it.
1: Yeah. So Dan, again, you were there and you played with the watches. What? Um, how did the digital crown feel? How did you feel navigating it? Some people were saying it's not incredibly intuitive. Um, so I'm curious what you would you have to say about that.
0: I thought it was intuitive. Um, there is complexity. It's not iOS. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like an iPhone. Um, so it, you're learning something new, and <clears throat> and yet at the same time, it's very familiar. So it takes you a minute to to realize. Um, how the buttons work because it has a, a button and it has the crown, which is also a button. Right. And you pick it up real quick because when you as you work it, it just does things that make sense and you can't really get lost in a place where it's not like you're led down an alley and then you're in an app and how do you get out of this and you keep pushing the back button on an, on you know an Android device and you're like where am I at? am I, how do I get to settings on Windows kind of thing. <laughs> um, the way Apple does stuff is to make it so that you can use it even if you've been drinking. Is that's, that's the user that? test? Think, I'm that? pretty sure that's their user test, or maybe <laughs> maybe you know after a little toke. They did but, find
1: the iPhone 4 in a bar before it was launched.
0: <laughs> exactly. These are people that drink, and um, Jobs smoked a lot of weed when he they, was young.
2: They did make the Yosemite joke. They were going to name it after weed, and then they didn't. So yeah.
0: Oh yeah, that
1: is true. They made that joke. Yeah.
0: So the watch automatically turns on when you when you look at the time, which right. seemed to work pretty reliably. You. Don't, you pull it up and bang, it's on. Whereas the same lift to talk thing for Siri and on the iPhone, it seems like it doesn't always work exactly the way you'd want it to. Um, with the watch, it seemed to be like they'd really got that down. Um, when you flick up, which is kind of like the control center right. instead of presenting you with settings, it, it gives you a full screen sort of mini app they call glances. Right. And when you're in that mode, then you realize there's a little button indicator that you can swipe sideways. You can go sideways through all the different things that you have loaded. Um, So it's kind of like a a mini apps uh, selector. And then when you're in an app, say you're looking at like the American Airlines glances, you can go from that to launch the full app.
1: Okay. On the
0: watch. Yes. And when you're on on an app... Um, either through a glance, if you somehow get into an app, you can go back by hitting the the, basically the home button is the digital crown. So you push it in, you're immediately back to the home button, which is where you have all the apps. And when you slide in, as as you dial the app, you go from seeing all your apps to kind of like the main app, the default app is the watch face. So the watch face is in the middle. So you're kind of zooming in and out of this world where um everything sort of makes sense i mean you're seeing it on the screen you're seeing it animated you're kind of being led along to where you're going so i didn't think it was confusing at all
2: yeah i, I think what people forget is that you know we've been using the iphone for for seven plus years now and we had to learn how to use an iphone at first too it it, it was easy to learn but it wasn't something we already knew when we first got one this is going to take a l- few minutes of learning and understanding exactly where things are.
0: And one of the things Android uh, phone users have always complained about the iPhone is that it's boring and that it doesn't, doesn't hold your attention enough. There's not like the little gadgety things on the desktop that you can like doodle with. Um, I've always thought that was kind of a silly thing because when you want to use your phone, you want it to do something not to like diddle around with, but I think with a watch, it's a little bit different. There's a little bit more kind of curious diddling that you're going to be doing and the way that you connect with people. The separate button, if you touch that, it pulls up a contact, like a it's almost like a roulette wheel. And you spin around and you can pick the circle of people that, that if you want to send a message to somebody. So, you tap a button, spin it around, grab a friend, you message them, and you have these options of whether you want to dictate a message to them, and you can send that as an audio file or it will dictate into text, so you're sending a text message with yeah. your voice. Or you can do the glances thing or your heartbeat.
2: <clears throat> right.
0: And I mean, not glances, but yeah. the sketch.
1: The sketch, yeah.
0: So How- it's a it's very well thought out communication system that instead of being very computery or even kind of like a cell phone where you're tapping on a screen kind of thing, you're able to communicate in a way that's very sort of personal and especially the sketch part. It is kind of difficult to draw something really precise on a little screen like that but the fact that you can do little personal vettles that somebody is seeing a a precise analog of what you're doing is a more human way to communicate than just typing in letters
1: yeah how was the whenever they show pictures of the home screen with all the apps as the little bubbles it looks pretty crowded Uh, how and i know you can zoom in with the digital crown but how simple or effective it is to use that home screen and actually launch an app the first try
0: I think it's hard to portray the user interface in pictures and sometimes even in video. I think it's easier with video, but they didn't do a lot of on stage demonstrations like they have with the iPhone. Remember on stage with the iPhone, they'd always oh. have it kind of hooked up to a live feed and be showing this thing. And I think Kevin Lynch did a little bit of that, but yeah. um, using it in person if you have it scrolled out so that the icons are tiny little circles, yeah, it is kind of difficult to manipulate that with your fingers, but it's very easy to spin in and out. You're zooming in and out of this like world of circles, which kind of reminds me of a video game selector.
1: Right.
0: So you, you see all the bubbles, you can see where you want to go, and you can zoom in to where they're big enough to actually tell what they are. And then you spin it around with your finger, and it's a, a very interactive kind of intuitive way of moving things
2: yeah that felt very rotary phone to me
0: (laughs) yeah it's kind of that idea of direct touch which has always been part of the apple user interface guidelines of of you you manipulate things even if they're just fake things on a screen you're manipulating them in a way that they work like real objects and they don't do things that real objects couldn't do because that's confusing so there's a lot of reality feedback when you're doing things that it it's not only easy to use, but it's kind of fun. It has that kind of like the idea of an iOS when when you hold it down to edit your icons and they kind of wiggle like that. It has this kind of funness to it that is not typical in a tech product.
1: Yeah. Victor, do you have something?
2: Uh, you know, I, you had a comment before about Android being much more uh, attention grabbing, attention getting, and I was thinking back for a moment to uh, Microsoft's Windows Phone and their advertisements about the uh, live tile that you wouldn't engage with, that that you could glance at the live tiles and then put away and spend more time with your your family members.
0: Oh, that was really an excuse <laughs> for not having any apps, is what that really it was, was. It was, <laughs> but it was a great line, and uh, it was not a very great line in that it didn't sell phones. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But it's interesting this is yeah that's exactly what Apple's kind of doing here is they're saying you don't have to always be going into an app because you you're more likely to want to instantly grab stuff you don't want to have this kind of we're entering an app we're going into app mode we're interfacing with an iOS type app here you're doing things very quickly you're pulling up glances if you want to pull up something more substantial on the phone on the on the on the device itself on the watch you can do that and if you want to use those kind of continuity feature to, to shoot something to your phone to open up a URL or something like that, then it launches an activity that goes to your phone. So it is, they, they obviously put a lot of thought into it.
1: Right. Now, speaking of, you know, all the things you're going to be doing with it, battery life was a concern before the announcement and Apple didn't, they just said 18 hours basically of use that should get you a full day's use. And afterwards, we had, ran an article that supposedly there's going to be a replaceable battery um, option or some kind of ability to be able to replace the watch's battery uh, over time to extend the life of the device. So optimistic about that is definitely going to be a charging every night kind of device, though, which I know some people were, were hoping it would last a little longer.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a, a constant you know, it's, it's an engineering um, battle between do you make something that's simple that lasts for a very long time? Because there are simple watches. There's, you know, things like the Kindle or e ink screens that can last for several days, but they're not very powerful. And there's just a lot of things you can't do when you have that sort of technology. And on the flip side, you can make something that's, that has all kinds of stuff and it works full tilt, but it doesn't last very long. I mean, that's kind of a, a thing of Android phones. It certainly was a thing of Microsoft's uh, mobile devices. They they introduced color right away and had big screens and they lasted for like two hours. Uh, So you really have to find a balance between making something that's useful enough to wear on your wrist and at the same time lasting long enough, but not trying to last for so long that you have to dial everything down. So it's just like a black and white screen and doesn't really do much. So I think they've they've done a a pretty good job. And I think over time, that's going to keep changing and they're going to keep improving their battery technology, obviously. Yeah.
2: Do, do either of you wear a traditional wristwatch at all?
0: On occasion. I haven't for a very long time.
2: OK, one of I the things that I've observed is that when I'm working at the laptop for an extended period of time, I will take the wristwatch off because the the clasp or the buckle is hitting the palm rest.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's just kind of an uncomfortable thing to be dragging that across the palm rest. So. And I've seen this among other people when I've been working in office situations. I've seen people take the watch off during that portion of time. So if you have a charge stand at the office, at the work desk, and you have a charge stand at home, it's, it's entirely possible you're sitting here at work. You take the watch off for a little while, you put it on the charge stand, and then it's a nice display on the stand. You take it, put it back on your wrist. So maybe charge anxiety isn't a real problem here.
1: Yeah, I'll have to see. And you know, people have to charge their tablet and phone already. You know, people are saying you don't want to charge one more device, but I mean. You're charging two to three devices already, you know. So it's and especially if it's a thing where you could just kind of lay it on. I mean, you're gonna put take your watch off at night, anyways. I would presume.
2: Some people
1: don't. Yeah, some people don't. Maybe it'll could do sleep <laughs> tracking if you keep it on. Yeah. Uh, so maybe not. But yeah, the desk thing. You know, if you're at your desk, I do the same thing. If I am wearing a watch, I'll take it off when I'm working, and yeah, you know, just put it on the stand and let it charge. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens over time. We did ran a piece on the appleinsider.com with all the different options with the bands and the different models that you can get. Tons and tons of combinations. Uh, so definitely check that out. We'll put links and show notes to all that. And you can um, get ready to order yours. You can pre-order it April 10th. And they'll also be in the stores on April 10th. So you can see one in person before you pre-order it. And April 24th is when it will officially go on sale. And presumably pre-orders usually arrive that day or a couple days after depending on what kind of supply constraints there will be. And I'm curious if there's gonna be as many supply constraints as there usually are like with the iPhone and iPad launches. If this is gonna see that too. If you're getting in a watch uh, edition model probably won't be many uh, supply constraints so if you really want one. Are, you, uh, are either of you guys are you getting one and if so have you decided on a model yet? I have not decided on a model yet, but I'm you're pretty of, sure. I think I'm
0: tilting it. towards a bigger screen Yeah. and I'm trying to convince myself that I probably need a stainless steel one.
1: I've already convinced myself of that. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you I'm, think the black stainless steel or the shiny stainless steel?
1: I, I'm going to go with the shiny cause the black one is the most expensive of the steel models.
0: Cause it comes with the
1: link. Yeah. The, and the link bracelet alone is $450 if you buy it after the fact. Um, but I th- I think um, forty two millimeter the larger screen, the shinier steel with the uh, Milanese loop that yeah, for myself. But... Yeah,
0: I kind of like that idea, that loop one.
1: Yeah, um, the... the
0: the loop's going to be comfortable.
1: Yeah, and you know varying size you know it's not just holes mm. in the
0: thing. So, well, any device uh... that costs that much money, which you know is kind of comparable, it's actually cheaper than a phone we've seen so many phones being stolen i wonder how how common it will be to lose your watch and if somebody takes your watch if it if it will have the same sort of find my watch icloud lock yeah the activation lock so that you can't use it if it's been stolen
1: hmm.
0: that's good i question. haven't seen the details on that but i don't know if they published them or not all
1: right so what about you victor
2: you know i'm I have traditional watches. I like stainless steel very much. I think, I think I'm actually leaning towards aluminum and not just based on expense, but also based on lightness. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I'm tempted, what I really want are third party lugs that allow me to use traditional straps and traditional bands because I have a number of straps and I have a number of bands, some that have been handmade for me. And I have a couple of bracelets that I've assembled out of different parts and pieces and clasps. I have a, a clasp that is infinitely adjustable. I, As much as, as Apple thought has put thought into this, I've put thought into the straps and bracelets I already own. Mm. I know I'm an outlier, but that's what I'd like to wear.
1: I think that's not crazy to think some third-party manufacturer will do that. It's where you can use your own kind of straps.
0: I've seen something along those lines already.
1: Okay, yeah. well, there you go.
0: Although I don't know if how the uh, there's the band security thing. Right. The so click. you take it off, it, it stops, it forces you to re into Apple Pay and put
1: in your, your PIN. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, yeah, that may be an so issue.
1: Yeah. Well, again, April 10th pre order, April 24th, it'll be available. And uh, where can people find you on the internet, Daniel?
0: I am on Twitter at Daniel Aaron, E R A N. And of course I write for Apple Insider as
1: well. Yep. And Victor, how about you?
2: I'm at vmarks on Twitter and I write for
1: Apple Insider. All right. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steven Robles. Thanks you all for joining us. Go be sure to check out all the content on appleinsider.com. We have a bunch of hands-on images that Daniel were able to take on the event and some video. There's also a two minute recap of the entire keynote if you would like to see that. And we have all the news from this week. Sign up for our newsletter, which we're sending out weekly. You can sign up online and uh, receive that. And don't forget to subscribe in the iTunes store and go ahead and rate and comment us on our podcast page there. We appreciate all of you who have done it and you consistently keep us in the top ranking. So please encourage you, your friends, to go subscribe, listen, rate, and review. And thanks again for joining us. We look forward to talking to you next week.